0: Today's podcast is brought to you in part by Manning Publications. If you use the discount code YTFisher at checkout, you'll get 40% off my Docker in Motion course. It is five and a half hours long, and it teaches the fundamentals of Docker. Go to howtocowell.net forward slash to get my course or other video courses and books from Manning Publications. Link in the description below. Hello, coders, and welcome to another How to Code Well podcast. Today, we're going to be talking about web development consultancy and web development in business. I have the pleasure of being joined by Sam Foote. Hi, Sam. How, you, how are you going? Good week? Hi, Peter. Yeah, good. Thank
1: you. Yeah, good week so far. Excellent. On here. Whereabouts are you based in uh, in the UK, in Brighton? Um, I'm down in, well, usually sunny Bournemouth. Yeah. Um. Um, Yeah. So not too far from you. uh, Bournemouth's a great place. I was in Bournemouth um, a
0: few weekends back taking the dog out for a walk. He loves the beach. (laughs) Yeah.
1: It's, yeah. I mean, yeah. Bournemouth beach and all the way along the coast really is just, it's all mostly sand. It's, yeah, yeah, it's well looked after. That's for sure.
0: Awesome. So you're the managing director of Aptimize. That's the right way of saying it, right? Aptimize? Correct. Yes. Um, So before we get into the optimised stuff, let's talk about your background. Um, So how did you get into coding?
1: Okay, so um, originally when I was um, a teenager, I was big into gaming, Uh Um, LAN parties, yeah, every weekend, uh, playing games. Um, And I think that's where my sort of interest in computing came from, Mm. Um, you know, building computers, networking, that sort of thing. And then the coding aspect of it really came from I can I was I was trying to I was trying to think back of when I originally first made my first ever, you know, program. And right. I think I think it was a script for a like a multiplayer game server. I think that's what it was, right? Like a bash script <laughs> or something to get something to run, you know. Yeah. And I think inadvertently that sort of started my, you know, I've always been a a builder and a tinkerer you know and I think that I mean you know software is you know it, it's on it's using computers to build things uh-huh. and you get that instant feedback so I think uh-huh. for me it, it ticks a lot of those boxes so I think my personal nature of building and, and tweaking uh-huh. um, and obviously when I started coding I um, well, ever since it's just been growing and growing and growing right so right. it was a it was a good career path at the time so Ooh. it just made sense for me to sort of move into that I mean I think if I hadn't have gone into coding it would have been more IT administration and that's what a lot of my friends do okay. um, I've got a lot of friends that are like IT administrators so that's sort of that sort of aspect really so is, um, is that
0: more working on the hardware than the software
1: yeah yeah so like setting up hardware configurations, and networks, and things like that um and I think you know there's huge amount of sort of opportunity in that field as well, oh, but I think I just sort of slid into the software side because <laughs> I wrote too many scripts, and I should have done <laughs> wonderful, wonderful, what did you do before it? What did you do before coding um? I didn't actually, I've never had another professional job other than coding. I obviously had my part-time work that I did, um, sort of on the, you know, whilst I was at school and college and things like that. And I actually, um, I started coding straight from college. I never went to university. Right. Um I was lucky enough to have my, well, then soon to be first employer came in, um, and said, Hey, who wants a junior job? And, mm-hmm. um, you know, and that was the time like everybody was doing their UKS applications and applying for universities and things like that, and nobody else even applied for it, and I was the only one that went for it. Yeah. And um, and yeah, and I, you know, I ended up getting a degree. Uh, I ended up finishing through the Open University um, with Bournemouth University as well. Um, and you know, and you know, so I did it sort of. I, I learned on the job as I went, yeah. You know, mm-hmm. if you see, so I had loads of friends that went to university and now are programmers, um, but I just went about it in a slightly different way. Wonderful. Um, part laziness on my part, like, cause it's easier to get a job. Um, but you know, what I learned in those, you know, what I learned in that first job, mm-hmm. uh, stuck with me sort of ever since it was the foundations of my, you know, me learning to code. Sure. Sure. Brilliant.
0: Um, so you did a course at university at, at, at college, right? That
1: was yeah. coding.
0: That yeah. Right?
1: So I actually did a BTEC um, mm-hmm. and a BTEC um, for anybody not in the UK is um, it's kind of a more vocational qualification. There are no exams. It's, mm-hmm. um, it's just coursework based and you, mm-hmm. you just do projects and it's, I mean, I don't know about it now, but back when I did it, it was definitely the like inferior way to go really. Like, you know, <laughs> in terms of academia, it's, you know, you're not going to go to a, um, you know, a prestigious university with a BTEC. But what that did is, I actually did software development day in, day out at college, you know, and at that time, that was just more exciting to me, you know, and doing maths and physics, which is, you know, maths, physics, then into comp science, you know, and, and, you know, that's, that's just the path that I didn't take um, at that time. So what kind of things were you learning at uni? um so whilst I was it so I did uni one day a week uh-huh. um and I didn't really learn a lot because I was programming day to day um so that was more of a um it was just something I felt I needed to do sure. um, and I to be honest with you looking back at it in my specific scenario mm-hmm. um which is different to everybody else's um is that university degree was kind of pointless really because my my and that's hard for me to say it wasn't pointless at all but you know it's the amount of experience that i had when i came when i finished my university mm-hmm. now you know if i jobs that i got after that point they didn't even look at they just want to know if i could code and what level i could code at you know what projects that i've been working what was my experience so you get to this point where you're a senior developer or you know and it doesn't really matter what you did at university because that, you know, university is there to just prepare you for, in my opinion, for the real world. Sure. No, Um,
0: I I totally agree. I mean, the, the, the conversations I've had recently with recruitment agents, they don't, they don't ask about the university stuff. There's no need. They want to know what
1: I coded last week. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's, I, I think the, the thing for me was, is back at that point, uh, the people like my parents, um, you know, my parents got had at that point very different opinions about you know university and uh, you know how prestigious that was and they you know they would have wanted me to go to university 100% right Um, Mm. and and it does definitely if you've never been to university up to a certain point that's going to lock you out a specific employer I don't think so much now but back then it was different it Mm. wasn't like it is now you know there's definitely a shortage of programmers so it's Mm. like Can you do the job? Yes. Are you a human? Yes. You know, like, um, yes, like we'll, we'll, we'll give it a try, you know. So I think it's, it's not that simplistic, obviously, but you know, there's, it's not so much what Russell Group University did you go to Mm -hmm. and what grade did you get and, Mm -hmm. and all of those different things nowadays. Well, in my, you know, and again, this is all my perspective in my very narrow viewpoint of my little place in the world. If you see what I mean, um, it's, you know, That's just how I've never had an interaction where somebody's gone. Oh, you didn't go to X, Y, Z university. No, no. But then again, I, yeah, I haven't worked in a conventional, conventional role like that for a while. So, yeah. Sure,
0: sure. So, okay. So after that, how did you, where did you take it from there? You say you got a a, a job somewhere.
1: Yeah. So um, where I learned, so I left college um, mm-hmm. and I went straight into a junior uh, developer job doing .NET. Mm-hmm. Um, and I basically um, the company was split over two sites. One was in Bath, mm-hmm. um, and one was down where I lived at that time in Weymouth, down in Dorset. Now, right. and in Dorset, we had like a quite a small team. It's just me and one other senior developer, and um, and the the bigger team was sort of up in up in Bath. And we um, I basically had i had free reign of the senior developer teaching me you know everything i needed to know Mm -hmm. um and you know i'm still really good friends with him he taught me to like properly code and i worked i worked in the defense um, sector Uh so the strength the the environment in which you work in is very is very controlled and you can't you don't have the luxuries well and especially back then especially old dot net as i call it (laughs) um that was a very different time and a very different world so it was it was um really good like you know programming principles and underpinning Mm. but it was quite boring and monotonous work right it was you know sort of boring web systems building things and Mm. and um and like like i just alluded to back then you know i don't want to don't want to hate on microsoft at all because i absolutely love them but um you know .NET was in a very different place right it was right. very locked down you could yeah. only run it on windows and you know the transformation that mm. they've made in recent years just wasn't there back then um so so yes it was a you know it was a the best part about it for me was i i was taught um the real underpinnings of how to build proper like enterprise ready software. Okay. And I didn't understand, you know, I didn't understand it all, you know, like um, security testing and, right. you know, building it in a scalable way that it can be extended upon, mm. um, you know, but also it was an, it was a consultancy firm. So it was like an agency. Mm. So I had to do many different things and there was always a deadline with money. There was always a budget attached. Right. And I think, right. I think, you know, personally, every developer should have that in their you know throughout their experience cuz you you just see the world in a completely different place when you have you only have x amount of days or weeks to produce something right and there is a profit margin to be made for that company so um yeah time equals money and well
0: it's yeah. the it's the whole sort of if your code is not up to scratch then it's going to cost money
1: in the future for it to be fixed <laughs> yeah 100% and i think that you know um, that sort of commercial aspect of it. And back then I didn't even see it, right. Like I, you know, I wish I could go back to that point in my life and, and not, not, I don't have any regrets, but go back and tell old Sam, you know, <laughs> what I should be doing. Um, and hindsight is obviously twenty twenty. So, yeah. but, and, and that's it. So that's where I sort of started from. Um, and there were no, I think there were some mid-level devs, but most of them were all senior. Right. Yeah. So if we, we didn't have like, it wasn't, it wasn't agile. We didn't have to stand ups every day. Uh, but when we did come together, you know, you just get that breadth of, yeah. you know, knowledge, right. You have, yeah. you know, the sort of, so you have some people driving new technology in and then you've got these people that have been doing it for years and not in a, you know, um, a critical way. They're just saying, well, what about X, Y, and Z? And those are all the questions that you, yeah you learn over time right all yep. the mistakes that you've made the, um over yeah, time definitely and, definitely you all know all,
0: all the, that wisdom. all the little edge cases all the little things you know or you know have you thought of this have you thought of that you know what happens if this happens and
1: all this stuff yeah and yeah. that's a really like productive environment you know because mm. it can be a bit slow at times and everybody has an a you know an equal opinion mm. um but it's just getting all of those viewpoints is sometimes a really good thing especially when you're like architecting a piece of software. <laughs> well, um, yeah,
0: this is something that I think you just can't really get in at, at university. It's that, it's that having the exposure to other developers who've, yeah. who've been in, in the trenches. Yeah. Um,
1: I've, I, um, through one of my, um, uh, sort of contracts that I've done, um, I was working with placement students, um, in their, you know, their third year of university and, um, you know, those, um, those developers will pass a technical test, not a problem, mm-hmm. um, but they haven't set up like they've never uh, deployed something to a server or set, you know, set up Plask or, or whatever the random, you know, things a client asks you to do, you, you know, um, it's all of those edge, you know, in that environment, um, everything was Dockerized. So, mm-hmm. you know, no university. That i know of teaches docker right so um, (laughs) who knows at some point i'm sure they will um but you know teaching them why dockerized development development environments are really important because well it's just time you know we don't use it in development for anything else than other than you know repeatability and time you know so um so when We onboarded those placement students. Um, they would just be given free reign to learn all of the, you know, the technical development, you know, all of our environmental things first. It's like, I don't really care about whether you can code or not. Like that, you know, that can come with time. It's more the, well, we already know that they can code because they've been taught code for two years at university, but it's about, you know, deploying things securely, safely, you know, and, and thinking about the whole software development lifecycle, not just writing back-end code. Cause no. that's not just, that's not the lovely world that we live in. Yeah, right? You know, yeah, yeah. um, I wish my job was just writing back-end code, you know, all day, <laughs> every day, cause then there would be nothing, you know, it's a nice, isolated environment, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, um, so from
0: there, where did you, where did you go? Did you go straight into working at Aptimize or was there anything in between?
1: Um, no, so I had, um, so I had another job. So after my first job, um, I then went and worked for a healthcare company, mm-hmm. um, and I built a, um, sort of their global, their global e-commerce platform. They were sort of a B2B, um, supplier. And back in those days, the cloud wasn't really what it is now. It's, I say those days, it wasn't that long ago, but it, it wasn't where it is now. Mm-hmm. Um, they didn't have the money to, By a big ERP system. So they built everything bespoke. Um, And so we did that. I was there for three years. Uh, We built that all up and everything. And um, yeah, and that was pure.net, you know, uh, bespoke application development, Um, you know, not maybe the way that you would go now. um, But back then, it was completely functional for what it was. Um, But again, really small development team, there was only um, a designer and three developers there. It wasn't Well, it's still pretty big compared to like a freelancer right but um but yeah so not not a huge team um did three years there um and then towards the end of that um, i started to do freelance work on the side Mm -hmm. that became far too much because I was just doing it every night and every weekend. Uh, I sort of traded my gaming for freelancing, <laughs> um, which worked well financially, but it didn't work well in any other aspect of my life. Um, so I, yeah, so I just made the decision, you know, uh, my wife, uh, who was my girlfriend then, you know, basically gave me the best ultimatum ever. She was like, you either do it full time or you stop. Um, we need and- that. We need that. We, I, I, I think, <laughs> I, I think us freelancers need that reality check yeah because yeah because it's it's great like you yeah. know earning as much money as you possibly can but you have to have that balance even mm. if you don't like at that stage of my life i you know um my daughter wasn't here it was just it was just me and my wife but it's still burnout is a real thing you know if you do every single evening every single weekend yeah. you will i i for me personally i will eventually crash so it's about doing it you know, safe, not, well, nothing's really unsafe about programming, but, you know, in a safe manner that is got longevity to it, right. It's got to, yeah. it's got to work for the long term for everyone. Yeah, um, yeah. so, so yeah, so I base, I made the jump. Um, I was working with, um, a couple of agencies on the side. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had plenty of, I, at the time I, I already had like two or three clients that were regularly giving me little bits and some of the work wasn't even really little. We were doing loads of work, like, you right. know, to get, get stuff done. May and I, um,
0: May I just spin it back a, a, a bit? How did you, how did you, um, how did you come up with the idea in the first place of wanting to go
1: freelance? I think to start off with, I can't, I got, I did a couple of projects um, through sort of friends and family. Um, so I had like, um, I did some work for one of my dad's friends right. and, you know, little bits like, can you make me a website and, um, all of those, but I'm not, I'm no way a designer at all. Right. right. I'm, I'm definitely a developer. <laughs> that's for sure. <laughs> um, you don't want to ask me about my design <laughs> opinion. I don't, I'm not very good at that. Um, so, so I would help people with little bits like that. And then one day, I think I got a link, I think I got a LinkedIn from somebody, mm. um, and, He was basically like, I've got some, you know, and he he was the owner of an agency. And he's like, I've got a small little bit of work. Um, And I was quite flexible with that company that I worked for. I didn't actually work. It was like a 34-hour week. It was amazing. And so I used that extra time. And I basically said to him, look, I can't do it full time. But if you've got any projects that, you know, aren't time sensitive or they're small, then, you know, send them my way. I'd be happy to work on them. Um, So, yeah, so I did a few um, a few projects with them, um, and and it just started to snowball from there. Because once yeah. you're, once you've got a client and you've delivered yeah. value and you're trustworthy, um, especially with agencies, um, they will tend to. They've always got. They always want everything done in house first, but they invariably have, you know, a little bit that they need to sub out to somebody else. Right? You know, agencies are a good way to to get some reliable work. It's not potentially the best value work, um, but you know, there's you're definitely a supply being, of extra work there.
0: Yeah. You're essentially being subcontracted now, aren't you? You're you're, you're, you're working as a developer on their team, but for yourself.
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. yeah. So you're sort of, you know, as and when you're needed. Um, but I think, I think the problem that a lot of people have is, 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 how do you find that first one right sure. how do you find how do you get that connection and i think you know looking back on it i didn't do anything to get that connection right it was just pot luck that me and me and that person started to talk um but if you were to actively sort of hunt for that mm. you know um i i think it's i think it's more about being known and one thing i'm I'm going to be critical of myself and I will be critical throughout this whole thing about myself. Mm -hmm. One thing I'm not very good at is marketing myself, right? I'm, you know, I don't do any social, I don't do anything like that. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and I think just being available and open to opportunities, but then you have to be connected with Mm -hmm. the person, right? Mm -hmm. They have to know who you are because there's loads of amazing coders out there that, you know, that want work, but just nobody knows, who they are or what they do right because they don't go to meetups or they don't go to you know and people just don't know about them um and 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 i think that's just being known like i think that's the only way you know to really Mm. and it it is slow right it's like a Mm. you know it's a cumulative effect right you know everything in life is You know, um, if we take YouTube, for instance, right, let's talk about uh, your 10,000, you know, know, followers, subscribers, I can't remember, yes, subscribers. Um, You know, it's not, you don't just wake up tomorrow with 10,000 subscribers, do you? It's, it's, uh, you've got to build it up. And I think that's the same analogy that you would, you know, in terms of your brand. If you don't, I don't really like to call it brand because it's quite a wafty term, but like, you know, your brand is your trustworthiness and you, you know, your trustworthiness and your deliverability, you know, like does, d- does Sam turn up on time? Does he do the job he says he's going to do? You know, is he flexible? If, mm. you know, we ask him to do a deployment late at night, will he shift around his day to do it? You know, and all yeah. of those, those different things. Yeah. Um, I think that all makes up your personal brand mm. and however people discover your brand might just be through word of mouth and referral.
0: Did did you always think that you wanted to be a freelancer?
1: Ah uh, yes, yeah, that that's uh, the reason why I went freelance is cuz I couldn't leave the question unanswered of whether I could do it or not. So <laughs> for me it was like the what if, right? So okay. the the worst thing that was going to happen to me cuz I had prepared for it financially is that I would lose 3 or 6 months worth of money, right? That's the that's the short and tall of it. Mm-hmm. But on the flip side of that, I would have um, I would have gained three or six months worth of knowledge. So actually, it, yeah, uh, yes, it would have been an expensive mistake, but at least you would be able to close that door on your life. Do you see what I mean? Like, yeah. that's not for me, or that doesn't work for me. Yes. I? Yeah, I like that. I really do. That's, uh, that's yeah. such and a I, pragmatic and, way of looking at it. And I think, yeah. but I think if you're, you know, I've done a I've done a few things where I've made decisions to go and do things, and um, and as long as you do it in a structured way, even though it seems absolutely mental, right? To mm. some people, mm. especially especially people that do have full time jobs. A lot of my friends, you know, I, I don't know in my close friendship circle. I've got no other contractors, self employed, whatever you want to call them. Mm. I've got no other people that run their own businesses that are in tech like like you know in software development that i am right. um so it's it's just a different like mindset well you know it because you do it so it's mm-hmm. it's this it's the thrill of mm-hmm. not having any stable income right like that yeah the, no that's
0: uh, that's it entirely that's it's the
1: uh... and that sounds absolutely nuts right because i have a wife and a child right like that sounds like you're gambling like with your future but what i also do have is You know, I have confidence in myself that I can go out there and I I haven't always had like confidence in my ability, right? Everybody goes through that, don't they? Mm -hmm. Imposter syndrome. And Mm -hmm. can I do this? Can I, can I, can I get this like business to work? But actually, you know, everybody's already got the technical ability, don't they? You know, and that's ultimately what you're selling. So as long as you've, you know, you're not, as long as you've got that technical ability, then if you allow that to be shown to your clients, then that's what will drive you forward, right? You're delivering, you know, you're not, right? I think a lot of people focus on sales, like, and how am I going to, you know, how am I going to be the most viral on social media? And how am I going to get in front of these people when actually what sells you is what you do, you know, and what you, what you say and what you do and how trustworthy you are, you know? That's, Um, yeah, definitely really agree with that. Um,
0: You know, with the social stuff, it's, People think, you know, the numbers are the thing that, that, uh, matter the most. It, it's not. And with, with the work, it, people think that it's a salary, you know, that's the thing that matters the most. And it's not, you know, as long as you don't undersell yourself. Right. Um, but like you said, it's the importance of being, having your own reputation, having, having yeah. your own, I'm going to say it brand, which you're yeah. slowly building <laughs> <I know>. up. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. But I think, and, and as well, it's just about being content, you know, because I can sit here because I am yeah. somebody that works for themselves yeah. and I've lived in that world for a long time. But as long as you're content and you're happy, you know, um, like, like I said, you know, a lot of my friends – aren't self-employed right Mm. do i think that they're stupid or they're doing the wrong thing no because they really enjoy the employers that they work for they work on really good projects and um they love the fact that they get paid on time every single month you know and that's you know that to them is you know they're they're content and i you know when i talk to people a lot of people ask me like you know should i go freelance only you can answer that question once you get to that point right Mm. i can't I can't tell you to do that. You know, I could tomorrow, um, tell you just to quit your job and, and go off and do it. But Mm -hmm. that's something that somebody has to, you know, discover for themselves. So you were,
0: you were picking up all these, all these roles, all these jobs whilst you were, you were working uh, full time and they were slowly accumulating up over time. Um, at what point did you go, right, enough is enough that, that, you know, I, I can't, I can't juggle these plates anymore. You, yeah. you mentioned uh, earlier, it was your, your, your wife who, who drew yeah. the line. Was yeah, basically. That, yeah. was, <laughs> was it at that point or, or could, do you um, think that you could have picked up more?
1: Um, that, the main thing was when I was finishing my part-time degree, because right. I was basically doing my job, a part-time degree and, um, and I was freelancing at the same time, and basically I'd finish, I you know completed my degree, handed in my uh, dissertation. It was like that was gone, mm-hmm. and it was like weight off my shoulders. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because that was you know probably a day a week um, doing that, and yeah. and I think at that point it was like, and as soon as that had finished, that time got instantly absorbed. Like I didn't you know end up playing games for those eight hours a week or whatever I was doing on that um it was just like right you've got more availability bang here's some more work you know yeah. um yeah. so and then at that point it was just you know I was doing the degree to better myself and to get that you know t- to get that you know that certificate mm. uh, and that was an investment in my own future and then you know the freelancing was you know we were saving for a house and that was helping with all of that um so it was just like do i want to it's quite interesting i'm sidetracking a little bit here but a lot of people ask me like why do diy around the house right because you know why 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 not just work on a saturday and sometimes i really just like not to work on a saturday right like you're probably the same Yeah, yeah um yeah so yes i could work a six day week and then have people come in and you know and like you know Fix stuff around the house, and you know, Mm. um, make sure my garden looks tidy and and things like that. Um, And if you were just to think about it from a pure financial sense, then yeah, that's what you should do. You should maximise the hours you work. work. But actually, I as a you know, I, me, Sam, um, I need more than that. You know, I need, I need variety in my life. Like I need to be able to know how to fix my toilet when it breaks. Not because it makes any financial sense for me to fix my own toilet, but it you know, it's just another thing that i can do and i can you know i can still be you know um i can still be effective like as in i can still do work at the weekends but it's on something else which is another part of my life mm. um so i think yeah that you have to i mean setting boundaries i saw something on linkedin about um i think it was yesterday about you should have a start and an end like event to your day if you work from home you know like you know, if you work remotely, like having those boundaries, like like a set of sets in you know, a separate room and a start and an end time, like you're in an office, but you do that. And I think sometimes, and I think at that point, just to bring it back to the original point, I think I was blurring those lines of what was my personal time versus what was billable time.
0: Yeah. I, yeah. I, I've thought about this a lot. I've thought about this a lot. Uh, so I'm in the office here. It's, it's a spare room in the house. Um, you know there's no there's nothing in this room that is the house apart from the dog bed everything else is yeah uh what i do um but i still i still go downstairs in an evening with the laptop <laughs> yeah
1: yeah so yeah the the way that i get around this now is i actually rent an office um, right. i've i've completely moved out of I I do have a spare room that Mm -hmm. is technically my Mm -hmm. office at home. Um, But except for today, because I'm Mm -hmm. having this, um, this chat with you, um, I don't ever work here. Um, I have to, I don't, I did about, I can't remember how long I ended up doing. It's either six or nine months I did at home. And after that point, I couldn't do it anymore, not because of the fact of isolation or not talking to people. I had plenty of people to talk to. Like I was talking to my clients every day. I think for me, it's just having those boundaries. Like I like, you know, it is a waste. It's less efficient to travel to an office 100%, right? Because I I go into the center of Bournemouth. Um, Mm -hmm. That's where my office is. Um, But it's something about that journey that just puts me into work mode. I can, you know, as I walk out the door, I shut the door and I'm then – going to work and i'm Mm. like in work mode and then when i come home i shut the door Mm. and then well until my daughter goes to bed um i'm in you know i'm i'm trying not to think about work i'm trying not to think about you know the pull requests that i've got to do tomorrow you know and the work that i've got to do tomorrow um because it's all planned out you know because you could go well i'll what i'll do is i'll do that pull request tonight that'll save me an hour in the morning and then I'll wake up at 10 do you know what i mean and or I'll start work at 10 mm. and that's really good when you need to do that right like you've got an appointment or you've got a delivery or you know you want to be at an event for somebody mm. that's really good to have that flexibility but i think you know for me anyway i have to have that defined like mm. schedule of work otherwise mm. it would just be turned into you know working you know mm. 20 24 hours a day and mm. a big thing that i've put in place for me is i don't code in the evenings anymore like right. i can have my laptop but no code okay. so that's yeah that's my that's my one i don't have any rules but that's one of my rules is that huh. i don't code in the evenings unless it's an emergency obviously and i've got to get something out the door but um those don't really happen that often anymore but right. like i just what i'll do is i'll do other things like um i might want to sort out like all the other fluff that comes with freelancing. you know, and There's like, a lot of fluff you know, that you have to deal with. <laughs> all the other stuff, you know what I mean? You know, like all the, you know, cause it is, you know, these things take time, you know, mm. if you want to set, if you want to create a social account and mm. brand it and do all of those things or, or work on your own website, you know, yeah. like yeah. if you go to optimize.co.uk now, there's absolutely mm. nothing there because right. it's not really a priority for me at the moment. Like I don't really need it, but it's like things like that that mm. I would work on in the evening um, and working on like copy for that website and mm. testing things on that front, you know, all of the, I set myself like a, a little goal each evening to get something done, but nothing too, too big in effect, right. you know? Uh, Cause I, I know that, I know that battle that's for sure. Cause I'm not really one. I do like watching TV, but I don't like, I feel bad if I've watched too much TV, right? Like if mm. I just, watch Netflix all night. I'm just, Oh yeah. yeah. I don't feel productive. No. <laughs> right. So no. I have to do something. <laughs> no, no. I like no. the idea of putting
0: boundaries on either side of the day. Yeah. That, that does sound but, sensible.
1: <laughs> yeah. It's, it It can be like a bit, and I do break those boundaries. Do you know what I mean? All the time when right. I want to, yeah. Um. I'm not super strict about them, but I just try and get the, it's trying to get that balance as much as possible because there is this temptation to do more than, than what you should.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think, I, I, I think it's like, um, I get addicted with work in the sense of I'm busy and therefore I want to be more busy, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Let's, let's talk about optimize before I start digging myself a hole. (laughs) 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 Um, so you mentioned .NET. Is that, is that the language that you specialize
1: in? Yeah, so I went I had a bit of a change in my, my career, but my programming career, should I say. Uh-huh. I say. Um so I did old dot net, like mm-hmm. back, you know, um Asp.net web forms um before like dot net was cool, it's not really that cool but it is cooler now than it was yeah um and then i sort of moved more into mobile development so oh, i learned objective c okay um i bought my first mac um that happened for a long time yeah. um i am both a mac and a pc user oh, yeah. um, i have a mac mini now um cool. but yeah so yeah so i learned objective c um i did a lot of um, uh, mobile work. I used, a um, a platform called app, accelerator titanium. Hey, yes. Uh, yes. I, I, so, I, I use that too. Yeah. Love yeah, it. Great. Yeah. Um, absolutely amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, I then did move on to react native cause that mm-hmm. was the cool kid on the block when, but mm-hmm. app accelerator was titanium is still amazing. Mm-hmm. And it was way ahead of the, anything, the best thing that app accelerator did on that platform. Well, Titanium moved to Accelerator, didn't it? Where it got bought, or I can't remember because there's the open source. There's the open there's source, the open source version, yeah. and then there's it's now Axeway, isn't it? I Axway, think it's a completely yeah. different you know, product. Um, but yeah, so I, I did that, um, and that was the first, I think, personally, that was the first proper cross platform, like that yeah. worked properly, right? Because yeah. we had PhoneGap, not yeah. way, yeah, and that was that was not a good way. That was not a good it didn't have the native feel, did it it wasn't compiled down to native it was just a website wrapped in an app That's and right. yeah. you could feel it and it gave cross-platform development a really bad name mm-hmm. um and i can remember the back and forwards mm-hmm. um trying to convince people that it was like a hybrid approach where it was built down to native and mm-hmm. um yeah so i used that uh, i did a few projects and that really enjoyed that and what that the good part of what I'd already learned is I'd already learned like mobile iOS provisioning, like, you know, deploying to the app store Mm. is quite possibly one of the most complicated parts of iOS app development, right? You know, um, before we had a fast lane and all of that sort of stuff (laughs) to accelerate things. Um, So, so yeah, so I did a few cross platform apps in that and then we moved on to react native because one of my clients wanted it done in react native. So from that, I actually learned react like, the wrong way not the well not the usual way it's like web down to mobile but i went mobile up back up to web Mm -hmm. um so yeah so and then so i did that and i did yeah i've i've always done a little bit of php here and there like um a lot of there's still in my opinion no good cms for dot net so um drupal and wordpress i've done Quite a few Drupal, WordPress projects um, over the years because uh, they're just great content management systems, yeah. um, and that they're, they're extensible, they're open source, all of those. those good things. So now, yeah. So um, so now I primarily um, I primarily do so through one of my um, contracts and my roles that I've, I did. Um, I moved more back into .NET and Azure mm-hmm. now that you know Microsoft has moved to this service-based business where. You know, they're gone from licensing. They're like, right, we're going to give you MySQL cloud hosted managed and you don't have to do anything about it. Um, that's, you know, their world now. Mm -hmm. Um, and a lot of our, our clients for that were, um, like local government and bigger businesses. So, Mm -hmm. um, one thing that I really learned in those environments was that they didn't want the ops overhead of managing infrastructure, right? So if you can say to an ops team in a, in a larger, a larger corporation, um, yeah. Just add me to your Azure tenant, and you know everything's managed by Microsoft, and you know blah blah blah. Um, so yeah. So AppToyz is .NET and Azure, um, but but one of the big sort of areas that I've done a lot of work in recently is the Power Platform. So Power Apps, um, Power Automate, and Power BI, um, and in those and those sorts of areas. Oh, so cool. these completely. Um, you know, SaaS solutions for problems, you know, that like very little bespoke development, more consultancy, more configuration. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, I still do a load of bespoke application development work, you know, um, that's, that's the core of, the core of what we do, mm-hmm. but more and more businesses are moving to that. Cool. It's not like, you know, I'm not saying that bespoke application development is dead. There's, mm-hmm. you know, low code and no code solutions are great, but they don't fit every single niche and no. every single, you know. Um, and they, but, can, they can only go so far, right? Correct. Yeah. yeah. And I think one of the good things that, one of the good ways for freelancers and consultants that Microsoft um, position their products is they're not really good enough. They right. require people to come in and configure them, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And Mm -hmm. they do a lot out of the box, Mm -hmm. um, but they're still, like for instance with Power BI, which is a way to visualize um, data from Mm. different data sources. um, You can write custom visualizations, you can theme it, you can, out of the box it looks, mediocre at best um and it's like a self-service tool so Mm -hmm. you know a non-technical person should be able to use it Mm -hmm. a lot of people call it like the power the powerpoint for data visualization so you can drag on tables and things like that now in a bespoke world visualizing tables worth of data is trivial Mm -hmm. like as in it's you know grab it from the database and then render it out however you want to Um, but this these systems allow people to self-serve like you know their own reports so finance people use it uh, finance departments use it to visualize their excel spreadsheets for instance so they don't change their own business processes no. now in a bespoke world we'd ask them we'd say okay we'll build you a system you know you upload your excel spreadsheets and i will visualize them out on the front end for you mm-hmm. um but again that requires it doesn't it that mm-hmm. requires infrastructure team and all of that sort of stuff so these teams that want this, these pieces of software now look to these like solution, you know, these, these software based systems. Mm -hmm. Um, and sometimes it doesn't need to look perfect. So the, the default power BI out of the box is absolutely fine for them. So it's, yeah. So I, I live in like this bespoke, but also like this software, like, you know, sales, um, world as well, where it's just a little bit of a little bit of conf- not a little bit but less development work and more configuration of the of the platform sure, um, sure. yeah how long have you been doing this
0: for in optimize
1: um so optimize is just over a year old now mm-hmm. um i did a so I, I still do loads of bespoke application development like mm-hmm. all the you know the people that i've worked with before know me for my mobile app development and my dot net mm-hmm. you know bespoke app development so i still do tons tons of that um optimize is more of a um it's more of an evolution of me really right. um to it's to make it more of a a real business and a, its own identity not just not just me um gotcha. yeah. to make it to turn it into something that is bigger than just me because yeah. i've done yeah, because I've been a freelancer, like, you know, by myself for a long time. And one thing I've really learned is I like having people around me. So it would be really nice to have a still a niche, like a niche technology consultancy. Like We're not talking this big, like, integrated agency that does marketing and social and all of those things, just a bunch of nerds working on really cool projects, you know, for cool clients. And that's what we all want, right. Sounds and um, so I think that's that's it for me um but a lot of people won't a lot of clients won't just hire a freelancer so it has to be this you know this entity that is not just one person right because a lot of people are worried about what if sam goes away what if sam gets hit by a bus you know that's a you know that's a concern for these sorts of people so yeah yeah Yeah. definitely agree with
0: that you know yeah so um how how do you find your clients? Is it is it is it has it changed since you started getting your freelance clients? Are you doing uh, different
1: things? No, not really. I I've got no website. <laughs> this is terrible <laughs> for me to say, consider I build these things all day. Um, so yeah, I used to so my freelance website, like if you go to sanford.co.uk mm-hmm. is down at the moment. I haven't, it hasn't been up for a long time. Um, and there, I just used to have a landing page with literally just a logo and mm-hmm. like three links, you know, one to email, one to LinkedIn um, and one to GitHub or whatever. And, um, and that used to get me like quite a good, and I only did that just so that I'd be on Google mm-hmm. if you were to happen to search for a freelance developer in Dorset, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, and, and so but i didn't at that time i didn't really need to do it right because when you Mm. for me anyway when i Mm. started i had this like list of and i still have a list of this for optimize as well like all the things that i need to make like my business cards your letterheaded paper your signatures and and all of that sort of stuff and i actually just got i was more focused on actually doing the work you know and then that all got pushed to the side really. Mm. And I think from there, it just sort of snowballed from, yeah. you know, referral to referral. Cause those refer, if you were, you were, if you were referred by somebody, let's say one of your potential clients had a mutual friend and your friend mm. introduced you to that person. Mm. There is no better, there yeah. is no better referral than that, you know, yeah. because, you know, somebody of authority to that person has recommended you yeah. and you've just got to deliver. Right. Yeah. Um, and that's where that repeat business comes from, mm-hmm. um, and so a lot of it is uh, like interagency. Um, like other agency will bring me in as a consultant, um, ask us to do a project. Um, Optimise is still really small; it's just me and my wife. My wife is now helping me. Mm-hmm. Um, she comes from sort of a corporate finance background, so right. she like adds all of that like you know yeah, that ops and finance element to it um yeah. she also does project management for me um so it's really to optimize you know get the most out of my technical time so she takes away a lot of my admin mm. i say admin work but that is that admin work i would say is as important you mm. know that's not work that doesn't need to be done it's just i would be doing that in the evenings yeah. um yeah if i didn't have somebody because as a freelancer you always yeah. want to try and well it, you shouldn't but you're always wanted to maximize those hours that you can build right so if you've got a, if you want to work a 40 hour week you want to build 40 hours a week right so mm-hmm. it's like well when are you going to do when are you going to do your bookkeeping mm-hmm. okay i'll do that on a saturday morning or i'll do that in the evening and then that eats into your personal time and it's all about this mm-hmm. burnout relationship mm-hmm. so yeah so optimize is still really small it's just an identity around you know me but the idea is that it's I work for Optimise, and Aptimize is its own mm-hmm. thing, you mm-hmm. know, its own entity in not just me yeah. um, sort of thing. Yeah. Um, and it's not, you know, every, all of my clients all know the size of Aptimize. It's not to make it seem like bigger than it is or to deceive anybody, but it's just to, to realize that it's not just one person. Like it is, there's, there's multiple people working on those projects. And like, you know, if you, because I have got that, you know, project management element, and I have other people helping me. It it adds like legitimacy to the whole process, right? Yeah. Like because I don't, you know, things are like the project management system is updated every day. I don't accidentally forget anything, and mm. there's more structure around everything. Yeah, yeah, I get that. I get that. So, um,
0: what what's the uh, what what's in the difference between consultant and developer in your view? Because you you you've use those terms um you know bespoke developer development and consultancy
1: yeah i think for me one thing that's really changed is when i was a when i marketed i I think it's just a job title to be totally honest with you i don't think it's inherently like developers don't do this or software consultants or architects you know do that i think it's just the way that people like for me as a freelancer before is I would engage with some, with a team that has already got a technical presence or understanding. Right. So, you know, I would be put into a development team or with another developer um, or with an agency that, you know, already knows that they need a.net developer or a PHP developer or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, But as a consultant, you're there to advise what the best solution to the problem is, not just, for the technical team, like in terms of technical architecture, how should things be built? Like as a, a more senior architect sort of position, sure. but also to understand that like Power BI might not be the right thing for a business. Hmm. It might need a bespoke development bill, or hmm. it might need something that I don't even offer, you know. So at that point, and that's one thing, turning away work, that's that could be a whole video like in <laughs> itself, right? Um but having that understanding of what the actual business needs are Mm. and a lot of the time you're one step removed from that because you're working for a client who's then you know contracted so you just get a list of jobs to do Mm. and you don't have to worry about whether the, the, you know, the tasks that you're working through are actually right for the, for the project. Right. You know, and I would see that, you know, when I'm developing, like, you know, I'm a senior quote, senior developer. Right. Um, that's what I'm doing. I'm just working for a task list. And then there's this other part of my role, which is like, no, you shouldn't use, you shouldn't use .NET for this. You should build this in Moodle because Moodle's got all this functionality, right. You know, out of the box or yeah. X, Y, and Z. And that, also sometimes means that you don't get that work because they want to go with like a certified partner in whatever that technology is. So
0: So is it it right to say that you become more of an advisor?
1: Yeah. Yeah. But that is such a small part of like my role, you you know, it's, it's because most of the time that decision has already been made by somebody it's it's only when you get to a company like a i say a small company because bigger companies have it departments and they have tech, they usually have technical people there right mm-hmm. um unless they're like some massive brand with not a lot of head office but you know and then you've got these really small like small companies that i'm not talking about startups i'm talking about you know sort of these, uh, smaller industrial park sort of businesses that are more, mm-hmm. you know, they're not really that technically abled at the moment, but they want all the benefit mm-hmm. of that. Right. They want mm-hmm. to be able to automate their processes, yeah. um, but they don't have the money to hire an IT team, do they? Um, so when you go into a place like that and somebody's got no technical knowledge or anything, they're gonna, you know, they're gonna listen to whatever you're saying to them, right? Mm-hmm. Like when, you know if if i said to them you need this built in this language they're going to go okay cool i don't even know what that means is it going to is it going to do what i want it to do and i think that's where the consultancy comes from that right. advising and but also with that it's like a double edged sword isn't it because you need to advise you need to advise for your own personal because you want it built in the technology that you're writing in right because mm-hmm. That's what you do, and Mm. that would make most commercial sense, but also the longevity for the business, Mm. you know. Because I have done, you know, I've been in that situation before in the past where it's like, we shouldn't really do it like this, Mm. we should do it like that. But, you know, that's a moral quandary, isn't it? Because do you advise the client in a different way? You know, if your client came to you and said, Right, we definitely want to do it in, you know, I don't know, Fortran or whatever, and you're like, okay, I'm the best Fortran expert on the planet, but actually the right thing is to do it in PHP. And it's like, you know, at that point, you should advise them to do it in PHP. But, you know, but if you were just a developer, you'd be like, right, okay, let's get started. Like, you know. Yeah. Fortran, yeah. You
0: know? So, so a distinction I make is like, if someone is really into a framework, um, regardless of what the project is, um, if they just if they just want to do it in a framework, they will do it in a framework. You know, they they won't yep. they won't take the time to take a to to listen and discover the actual needs of the business. They will just go. I'm a Symfony developer or a Laravel developer. I'm yeah. just going to build it in that. <laughs>
1: yeah. yeah, and I, I and that's the thing. I I love I love frameworks, right? Like as in mm. you know, like and I'm not. You know, if if you're building something even bespoke nowadays, like how much actual bespoke development are you really doing, right? You're, you know, you're using these, you are using generally using a framework to build on top of on top of something. But yeah, you know, it yeah. is that. I think you know some people can be quite narrow viewed in their only their technology. I'm quite, even though I like to specialize on one thing, um, I've got quite a breadth of knowledge in terms of what I've done before, so I can see. But the thing is, What's out there.
0: you. I think you know the the limitations and then and where the technology can get to, correct and the, the, the confines of what you know, yeah. Of what of what that
1: technology can do, yeah. Um, and it's, it's always about probing. You know, like this hmm. is phase one. Yeah. Like let's all think. You know, let's all think that this is going to go well. Yeah. What is phase two and what is phase three? That's what we're looking at. We're not looking at this first set of functionality. We're looking at you know how we can build on top of this because yeah. they these people spend a lot of money on these systems, right? They're yeah. they're horrendously expensive um, because of the amount of time that's involved. And you know, everybody needs to be, you know, uh compensated for their time correctly. Um, so it has to be an asset to their business. You sure. know, it has to be something that it's not just you're building this one thing. It's like mm-hmm. it's going to go to here and then it's going to go to there. Yeah. Um, and I think that that is I think that is the difference, you know. But yeah. I don't think I think it's, I think developer and consultant are like the same thing. I think we're talking about more of a, you know, I don't, it depends what system you use for like your seniority levels of your developers. So what we're talking like that's the job of a senior architect or principal developer, you know, that's looking at that higher level, mm. those higher level problems, you know? Mm. Um, Cause, it, and again, I, you know, I know technical people that are just, they love to just build, right? Mm. Like a, loads of technical mates that never want to be managers, never want to own their own business. They just want to make stuff all day long. Um, but they're still, you know, grown up enough and they're, they understand mm. that they're working for a business and what the challenges of that business are and what the objectives of that business are. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. So you say you you, you focus on .net and, and, um, uh, the other technologies as or and, and so forth. Bit of React here and there. Um, what what kind of um, industries do you do you work in?
1: Um, it can be varied, really. Um, anywhere from I've done a lot in I've done quite a lot in sort of healthcare mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and that sort of industry, um, printing, news, um, all over the place. Really, right. it's not. I wouldn't really say I have a niche in any one like industry. Like I am a React developer that works for coal mining companies. Do you know what I mean? Or whatever, you know, the random. (laughs) Um, I've been quite all over the place. I've been in defence, private, you know, public healthcare, and then anything from small startups to you know, Mm -hmm. bigger sort of SMEs and and Mm. all of that sort of stuff. So I would say I have a really varied portfolio of different companies that i've worked for and i also don't i've never really worked for like a big 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 company because they don't really resonate with me like in the way i've never like i have had opportunities to join bigger organizations and i've then that's not really so i i kind of find that because i don't want to go and work for a really big organization i kind of seem to find clients that are smaller rather than bigger Mm -hmm. does that that make sense or or i'm talking to a very small a lot of these massive companies are just loads of little companies sort of talking together right now and i think you know one of the big shifts that we've seen and uh, you know i've already sort of mentioned it about these you know it teams and these ops teams which are kind of Being phased out, if I you know want to call it that, right? You know, you looking at local councils who are reducing their headcount in IT because of cost and all of those things. They're looking to the cloud to instead of paying a you know an administrator to administer a SQL server, Uh like you could just pay Microsoft to do that for you, right? And get value out of it that way. So there is massive opportunity there for Uh you know smaller freelancers because. That work still needs to be done, and there's less people in the house to do it now. They look, they look, you know, on a project basis and a cost basis. Don't they, they go? We've got X amount of money to do this. Let's get somebody in to do it. Mm. And single freelancers and single developers will always be cheaper than agencies. Like there's no, there's no doubt about it. Mm-hmm. And you know, resourceful teams will go, okay. We know we're not going to get all the, you know, the insurances and the, the protections that we have with an agency, mm. but we really like paying half day rate. Right? So let's do that, you know, because some of these people pay, charge silly sums of money. Oh, yeah. Um, right. And compared to what, you know, a well deployed freelancer mm. or consultant or whatever you want to call them um, into the same, you know. I always do it like, you know, if somebody's walking past my door and they walk into an agency, do you know what I mean? It's like, if you just stopped in here guys, it would be a lot cheaper, you know, you know, and it's, it's that because some people are charging obscene amounts of money for the same thing. Yeah, definitely. Or less even or less. Well, (laughs) yeah, well, that's, that's it. I think, and I think pricing yourself is a, is a minefield in oh, itself, it's a, right? You yeah. know, like it's the probably the worst part of the job, even though it's like the most financially rewarding. Um, well, but,
0: that's, that's an episode in itself. You know how how does that's a, a whole series. How does it? a freelancer <laughs> go from starting up to you know where they are now and the progression and the steps that they make? Yeah, we could talk about yeah. that forever. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, definitely. Yeah, so so yeah, yeah. So, um, is there is there anything else you wish to add before uh, before we wrap up?
1: Um, no, I don't think so. Awesome. Um, uh, I do have one question for you. Yeah, obviously. of course. Go for it. Um, I'm not, I'm not sure if I'm allowed to ask questions. No, of course. no, ask no, question no you can, you, know, you can, you can. It's <laughs> a podcast, but I'm sure we're supposed <laughs> to ask you questions. Um, how far are you away from your 10,000 subscribers? Uh, done it today. Did
0: yeah. you? Yeah. yeah Congratulations. About an, hour, about,
1: about an hour and a half ago. <laughs> Thank you very much. How much, um, so how much sort of effort do you think you're, you know, because obviously we see the output of your YouTube you know, channel and we don't see we see your X amount of minutes of content that you create. Mm. Um, is that is that something that, you know, do you just have a passion for making videos or is that, you know, is that an, an, one of your avenues for, you know, like, a, you know, a commercial avenue for you or is it just because. You just really like making youtube videos do you know what i mean what's the sort of hidden work that goes into oh those, there's a YouTube- lot of hidden work there's a tremendous amount
0: of work that goes involved uh saturdays uh weekends and evenings and mornings are consumed by <laughs> uh things being put on the queues being encoded and uploaded yeah U- usually most evenings there's something being pushed to some place um, <laughs> huh. but in, in you know, I guess, I guess it goes back to the question of how did it all start and why am I, what's the motivation to continue? Right. Yeah. So I started this out of complete accident. Um, it was actually a, a recruitment agent who after university m- just mentioned, I wish there was some way of, of you demonstrating the skills that you know. And this was, this was years ago. Um, uh, you know, and I, um, I just thought YouTube would be a great demonstration piece. I didn't even think I was teaching. I just, I just, uh, did a a YouTube video to promote me and I don't know why, but I went into the whole education sort of mindset. Um, I left it for a while and then, uh, came back to it and there was lots of questions. Um, and I just discovered the need for it. So I decided yeah. to continue it. Um, yeah, I mean, there's, there's so much work involved and I think that, um, getting, getting to a thousand subscribers was a lot harder than getting it to 10,000. Um, okay. Took yeah. years and years to before that happened,
1: but it's still, it's, you, you still got to keep, keep the fire going. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, for sure. Cause it must be, you know, when you look at, <laughs> other YouTubers and like their insane raging success. Do you know what I mean? It must be yeah. because there is so much work involved, yeah. I suppose from your perspective, there must be, there must be times when you think, you know, like, is it, is it worth it? Do you know what oh, I mean? Oh, there's like, been many, then- many
0: a times <laughs> where I've, where I've wanted to drop it. Yeah. Okay. Um, be- um, because I was putting too much work in, in, into it over the weekends. So with freelance and with the YouTube, there wasn't anything else. Yeah. Um, and now I've, now I've been able to manage my time a little bit better, um, yeah. with more efficient ways of working. So for example, uh, this podcast here, I will be doing a, a review. I'll be, there There is certain presets that I've got, which, which will, I just have to press a button and then it sorts out the yeah. audio. Um, I put it on a queue. I can chop it up quite easily and make some clips out of it. All of this stuff. I didn't know when I started, yeah. Um, so you kind of learn to become more efficient as you're, as, as you progress. Um, but yeah, no, I was, there was, there was a couple of times where I thought I would drop it because, um, just because of the time constraints Yeah. and in terms of looking at other YouTubers, um, so I try not to compare myself, um, because I know that there's a lot of people out there doing amazing stuff. But I think that once you start comparing yourself, it, you start getting, like, Yeah, you can get a little bit down.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, that's it. Cause that's, that would be my first, I don't know, like in my, you know, that's why I think, you know, you, cause I mean, 10,000 subscribers on YouTube, is mm. mental to me, right? Like, as in, because I don't have ten thousand, I don't have anybody. Like, I don't have any subscribers on YouTube. Mm. So it seems it seems amazing to me that like there's ten thousand people that are actively subscribed to you that you yeah. know want to see your content, you know that you know, and those yeah. things. Yeah. But I can imagine that you know if you're putting in, a hundreds of hours a month potentially, and you're seeing it go up. But I suppose you're seeing the fruits of that labour now, aren't you? Because yeah, you know, it, you know, it, it's it's like an exponential sort of growth. Well, it was was only
0: a few weeks ago I had a conversation with um, someone out of the blue because of it and they wanted work. So (laughs) I'm seeing the, I'm seeing the benefits from a, from a freelancing perspective for having it. In fact, there are some clients that I have in the States because of it. Yeah. Um, So yeah, although you can't really, you can't easily put a a financial figure to it. (laughs)
1: No, no. And that's the, and yeah. I think, I think that that's a good point though, uh, that you make there is there's a lot of stuff that you do try to actively do to make like more money. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, you can be a more efficient programmer or, you know, and do a better job, but there are just some aspects which are just more like potluck in effect. Yeah. Right. That right. one of your subscribers happens to be somebody that needs some work doing and they know, you exist because mm. of your your YouTube channel or your podcast, you know, and those, yeah. and that relationship is all about visibility, right? Like, sure. cause they wouldn't know about you yeah. at all. Um, yeah. you know, had they had not watched you on YouTube. So yeah. I think that's a really good. And, you know, yeah. this is a,
0: a, a podcast episode about freelance work so people will be looking at listening to this and going, oh there's two freelancers talking about <laughs> technology different technology <laughs> definitely yeah that's why it works yeah there's no uh, there's no well you no, know, but I, but, you know this, yeah. this, this this you mentioned before, earlier about um uh, marketing oneself this is my way of marketing myself this becomes my marketing budget right yeah. so uh yeah yeah
1: and, and what's great is it's it's you know and like you say you've invested the time you've got your presets you know yeah. you know like when we started this call you're like right i'm gonna do this 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 and then you're like you're ready to go right like mm. you know i assume that the first podcast took a lot longer to to edit and you know to get get ready. Oh know, yeah, so.
0: it, it definitely did. Um, it, it, it's been a job to try and get the presets working without making the guests sound like they're in a the toilet or some, <laughs> some bathroom somewhere <laughs> with the echoes. Yeah. I mean, eventually True. I would like to get someone in to, to do the editing for me. Um, yeah, you know, cause I, I just want to create the content. Yeah. Um, but yeah. <laughs> well,
1: when that happens, I'm sure it will happen. I think, you know, and that's the thing, you know, I uh, just, Yeah. I mean, like you say, if you felt that the first thousand was, you know, harder than, you know, a thousand to 10,000, you know, and that just goes to show the trajectory. To put in
0: uh, perspective, it took about three years to get the first thousand. It took, it took then uh, uh, probably, well, last year we had about four and a half thousand just in in 2019. So, So that's a big, a big increase, isn't it? But, but it's getting the, it's getting over the hump. It's getting over the, the, the and, and I'm not, you can't take it for granted because, you know, you don't know who watches your, your content and you don't know why they're watching their, your content because they're obviously after some technical knowledge. And if you say the wrong things or you've don't, you know, they, they don't, they haven't got what they needed to get, then the. And then that's it.
1: they'll find somebody else, I suppose. Yeah. How do you, de- how do you decide what content you put out? Do you just, do you just pick any subject that well, actually, you, you're interested in or?
0: Um, mostly now it's community driven. So we, okay. so, so, um, it's not just the YouTube channel. There's, there's a, there's I, I live code on Twitch and, yeah. um, we have a discord server. So we've got, um, uh, a hundred or so members in there and they will ask me to create bits and pieces or they'll just talk about things and I'll just f- discover what they're talking about and, yeah, and, uh, and, and, and do that.
1: They are. And that's, that's the best way, right? That yeah. is going to drive. Yeah. It's easier for you then. Cause you're just like, right. Okay. I need to make a video about this. You don't have to come up with. Well, that, that's it. I, I, you start
0: to identify your audience. It becomes more clearer who they are. And, yeah. and to be honest, I know 10,000 sounds fantastic and it's, you know, I'm really happy for it. But if I was just creating content for the, for the discord channel server, that would be fine. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That would be enough. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Because you, you know, you can see, um, quite, um, you know, you're exposed to your impact uh, far better than, oh, here's a YouTube video. I'm just going to throw it out there and, you know, it. Okay. You know, people don't always comment on it. So people m- might not give you a thumbs up and what does yeah. that really mean? But if yeah. if someone is actually having a, a direct conversation with you over discord because of the thing that you've said, then you know that you've actually had that impact. Yeah. So I, I value yes. that far more than the numbers. Okay. No, <laughs> that's really good. No, it's,
1: it's, I think, you know, it's, I think if it's the the best part about it is is that your passion towards it you know like that you're like you said like it doesn't make like monetary sense right like as in because no you it'd be better for you just to find more freelance work to do on a saturday morning and and every single evening you know so and and that is i think that's probably why you have that community right because it's Mm -hmm. not driven by any financial, there are financial like, uh, elements to it. Like you get like, you know, might get introduced to a client or, or things like that, sure. but it's more driven by that just building something right. And mm. in effect, a community. So. Yeah.
0: Yeah. This becomes the, this becomes my legacy. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> uh, well, it was lovely speaking to you, Sam. Um, yeah. really, really good to, to, to talk with you. Uh, how can people, how can people reach you?
1: Um, the best way—I'm not too social. Well, I should be more social, so I'm going to talk about uh go things. For it. Um, you can find me on my website, aptimize.co.uk. Uh, Hopefully, Ooh. by the time you're listening to this, there is a website there, um, and everything is is all of that. I will actually tonight. I'm going to um, go and update that website with all my contact details. Right. Um, but yeah, I'm on Twitter, Sanford Dev on uh, on Twitter, and Twitter is really the place that I go. I don't really go to, hmm. I do go onto Instagram and stuff like that, but hmm. Twitter's really the place where I follow everybody. So that's probably the best place to, best, best place to get me. Wonderful. So yeah. Wonderful. Wonderful.
0: Cool. Now there is, there is one other question um, that I ask people, um, that everyone on the show. It's, 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 uh, it's changed in this season. And this is, if you can spend time learning something that isn't coding, what would it be and why? There could be more than one.
1: Right, so this, uh, yeah, I, I had to th- <laughs> I've got to think about this one um, because I think one, I think about this quite a lot, right? <laughs> when thinking about what am I going to do when I retire? Right. Because right. I can't really see myself retiring, uh, but I'm, I assume I'm going to do it sometime. Um, and one thing I'd really like to do is just have like a little woodworking shop where I make stuff right just for no real reason not for any monetary value but just to like pass the time because i think it's mm-hmm. like building but mm-hmm. it would get me off get me off computers but one aspect that so there's that and also one aspect that i really uh lack is languages like i'm no good at other languages right i was never really into learning french at school or anything like that i'm really i've got people that i know that can speak multiple languages and it really really annoys me that they're so good at it. um so yeah languages and randomly woodworking um that's i think a passion that i don't have because i live in town i don't have the space for it but i'd love to have like a little mm. like wood working shot i don't know what i'd make yeah um, i was gonna oh, ask you what? what i'm make like you know like i don't know i've got no clue um i think it's just to get off the computer more than anything yeah. else so um so yeah so nothing i i do like you know I do have like my sort of nerdy side and the the computer aspect and all of that sort of stuff, but I think I'm going to have to have something that's completely, completely segregated
0: from that. (laughs) Wonderful.
1: (laughs) Brilliant. Brilliant. Well, thank
0: you ever so much for coming on the show, Sam. It's been great to speak to you. Yeah. And thank you ever so much, everybody who's watching on the YouTubes and listening on the podcast. Happy coding everyone. I'll see you again next time. Cheers. Bye.